So this first episode is about non-binary people. Non-binary, as defined by transstudent.org, is the preferred umbrella term for all genders other than female or male or woman or man, used as an adjective. Not all non-binary people identify as trans and not all trans people identify as non-binary. I'm going to keep it real. I don't know much about non-binary people, but I do have a multitude of non-binary friends. So here with me is my sibling Shay to shed a little light on this. What's up? Hello. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. It's nice and warm in the studio today. It is. It is. <laughs> I'm also wearing three layers of clothes. And a You Matter hoodie. Let's start there. These hoodies are thick. Thick as shit. <laughs> I want a You Matter hoodie so bad. They're really comfortable. They're fleece lined on the inside a little bit, so they're really comfortable. But them, they cost a pretty penny. They do. Well, if Demetrius Harmon... If you're listening to this, sponsor us. <laughs> Please. Please. We have color ideas. We have color ideas. Listen, we'd be really good. You matter, ambassadors. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, like an LGBTQ plus pride line, mayhaps. You know, I could get behind that. Go ahead and just give us a call. Just go ahead and give... <laughs> 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 All right, let's get into the thick of it. So... What is your personal definition for non-binary? I mean, my my personal definition really just lines up with, I think, the official definition, which is that it's neither man nor woman. I And I know it probably isn't used this, the same way as I kind of see it, but I always just imagine non-binary as, as everything in between. It is an umbrella term, so... You know, non-bi. Someone can be non-binary and agender. Someone can be uh, non-binary and gender fluid. Like it, it really, it really is more about this idea that I don't fit into a box. There's not quite a box that fits me, so I'm gonna stand out here, type of thing. Um, for me personally, as far as what non-binary means, as far as my own gender identity and my own gender expression, um, I've tweeted about this before. Uh, but honestly, the best way to describe my gender identity would be like Cher's Closet from Clueless. Um, if you could just pick like different, different every day, just pick out something different. Like what, what do you want to look like? What aesthetic do you want to give off? Cause I, I like aesthetics. And so I kind of go off of that as far as my gender expression. But I always imagine that just in the morning I'm deciding how do I want to be referred to? What do I want to look like? What do I want to be perceived by people as? And it, of course, doesn't always work out because I very much do look like uh, my gender assigned at birth, but it makes me feel better to be able to at least put a label on it for the day. And sometimes it's for the day. Sometimes it's for a week. Sometimes it's for a month. Sometimes it's sometimes it's nothing. I'm going to be quite honest with you. There are some times where I wake up and it's like, what from Shears Closet do I want to pick? Nothing. I am a blank slate do not perceive me and that's it and I just it's nothing but that's also a part of it too like it's it's a whole bunch of things I think I just described a whole bunch of things that may have coincided with each other but also didn't but I know there was at least a few people that are listening to this that are like yeah feeling like nothing me do not perceive me yeah don't perceive if I don't want to be perceived you'll know and don't don't perceive me then. I mean, it's it's funny because we live together. <laughs> and some days you'll just come out, look at me, 
and just give me a look, and I'll be like, ah, they don't want to be perceived. I do, okay. You know, I'm just saying, if I don't want to be perceived, you can tell. Which is why I don't take the bullshit excuse from people. Well, I just didn't know that you were in a bad mood. I didn't know that you were feeling... If I don't want to be perceived, you can tell. I'm a talkative person. I will talk your ear off if I want to be perceived. If I don't, then I don't. Don't argue about how to perceive me. Just going, don't. Going ghost. Look exactly. at us. They're a fan. Literally. Clownery. This is what we're going to be getting into. I hope you know that. Because they're going to be back for future episodes. Oh, absolutely. Making more uh, Danny Phantom references, honestly, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to it. So how did you find out that you were non-binary? Like, how did you end up coming out to yourself that you were non-binary? I don't know. That's a That's a funny question. I think only because... This is part of where the intersection of being black and being in being non-binary kind of comes in, being black and trans specifically. I am not uncomfortable with the gender expression that I grew up with. I grew up with a lot of pink. I grew up with a lot of dresses. I got new Easter dresses every year from my parents. My mother took took pride in getting my hair done and making me look nice, look feminine, and look pretty. And my mom put a big emphasis growing up on being feminine and what that meant. And I... I understood that in the in the sense that there's a lot of women that do connect with their femininity and what makes them a woman. I don't know, that was just kind of my first clue that something wasn't like, something wasn't adding up, like the math wasn't mathing. And that first clue was that I, I don't know, I don't know when I stopped connecting with the idea of being a woman, but I just kind of did I when I was really really young and before puberty I always assumed that it was a puberty thing like oh once I hit puberty once I started like being exposed to like growing boobs and getting my period and and filling out into this womanly shape then I would feel like a woman and I would feel you know feminine I would feel and then I went through puberty and I hated my body a lot I think there was one period of time in which I had just 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 started puberty so the hormones were just coming in. And so I was starting to like shape in just a little bit. Like I just had a little bit of a curve. And at that point I felt fantastic. I think I was like nine years old though. And I was like, okay, right here, this is perfect. I look great. And then my body kept changing and I just, I began to hate it religiously. I knew, I think once I started realizing more about trans identities and meeting trans people, because I didn't know a lot of them growing up, I mean, my mom had her own kind of opinion on what a trans person was, and a lot of the times it was someone who was experimenting, it was someone who didn't know what they wanted, or someone who still needed growing up to do. That was a lot of the ways that she described people that way. But as I started meeting like different trans people and started understanding like what those identities meant is when I kind of had the idea that I was within that spectrum. It, it was a lot of denial, I won't deny that though. Um, there was a whole, I at least want to say, couple years where I denied that completely. I was like, no, you're a girl, it's fine. You'll This will this will feel like it'll fit eventually. And I think that's something that a lot of trans people go through is this weird idea of you being like, it'll fit at some point. At some point it'll make sense, at some point it'll fit, and at some point I will stop asking these questions because your parents are right and you just need to grow up and you just need to move on and you just need to figure out what you want to do or figure out the person that you're supposed to be. And once you figure out who you're supposed to be, then it all comes together. 
I mean, if we're gonna be 100% honest here, I figured out who I'm supposed to be. That's not who I am. That's not who I ended up being. I have an identity that other people wanted me to be and other people were really excited for me to be and that's not what ended up happening. And I ended up being me, which I realize is very different and took a lot of undoing of thinking, especially where gender roles are concerned. Like I said, my mom was a big feminine, being proud of being feminine and being proud of some of the things that come with being a proud and confident woman that I didn't identify with. And so gender roles became kind of difficult for me. I had to figure out what my boundaries were, what I liked and what I didn't like outside of what I was expected to like or outside of even, outside of what I think I was supposed to like and out of things that I, I don't know how to describe it. Not things that I, that I think I'm supposed to want. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. Things I know that I'm supposed to want and things that I think I'm supposed to want. Which, even I'm not 100% sure what I mean by that, but I don't know. There was just a lot of undoing of thinking I had to do for people around me and for myself to really understand what I like and what I don't like. And to be quite honest, I'm still learning. I'm only 21. It, I'm, it's only 2020. There's still, we're supposed to have time left. I don't know how true that is. But um, <laughs> however much time I do have left, I'm ready to explore everything and figure out what I do like and things may change and I may like things right now that I won't like later. It happens all the time. My mom talked about how I used to like grits. I don't like grits anymore. Which you've already told me you're taking my black card for. Yeah, I'm taking your black card for I that I know. One. It's already been taken. It's been revoked. Let's get back to the interview, shall we? <laughs> how do you choose to present yourself, and why do you choose to present yourself that way? How do I choose to present, and why do I choose to present that way, was your mm-hmm, question? Mm-hmm. Okay, I think this is one of the things that I was talking about earlier that I had to undo in thinking. I really had to undo that clothes meant anything. Because that was the first thing that people consistently mentioned when it came to me and my non-binary identity. I know for a fact that my dad is very confused by me not identifying as a woman, but me still openly wearing dresses. My best friend, my best friend from high school is a trans man. But we go to Hot Topic together and we buy, like, the 50s-style rockabilly dresses because those are his favorite. He wears, like, spooky heels and things like that. And to this day, my parents, it does not make sense to them that Rain identifies as a trans man but continues to to wear um, feminine clothes, continues to wear feminine accessories. It has never made a million and one cents to them. And for a while, it also did not make sense to me. I will 100% admit that. I... I made assumptions one of the things that I've learned about being trans and trans people is that every experience is unique. As much as you can do research on transgender people and what that is like, you don't know until you've talked to a trans person. But I don't know, when when my best friend came out as uh, a trans man, you know, there was for a second I thought that, you know, he was going to want to wear nothing but men's clothing. I thought that there was going to be like a really big transition and shift in things. And of course, I was 100 uh, percent, you know, down for it and supportive no matter what he wanted to do. But, you know, we sat down, and we talked about it and he was like, I don't really want anything to change. We like wearing dresses together. We like wearing makeup together. We like doing those things together. Those are things I've always enjoyed doing with you. I just understand that my identity is not what I thought it was. And there's a way that I want to be perceived in a way that I want to be referenced in a way that I would like my body to look. 
that will make me happy and comfortable. And that was the point where it kind of clicked for me and I was like, it really is just an experience. That's all that it is. So he is a proud and confident trans man and he wears dresses and being non-binary, not feeling like a man or a woman, there was a little more sensitivity on my end as far as being comfortable with, with proudly saying that I was non-binary but still continuing to wear feminine clothes. And it wasn't until I really just took a look at myself uh, and I also threw away everything in my closet. Um, took a look at myself and threw away things in my closet and I just decided I was gonna wear whatever I wanted. I was going to take inspiration from wherever I wanted to and wear whatever I wanted to and wear whatever makes me comfortable. There are some things that I would really, really, really love to wear, but I uh, have decided that I will not buy or will not wear until after I receive my top surgery, <laughs> which I am raising money for, by the way. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, go fund me. Uh, Anyways, the link to Shay's GoFundMe will be in the show notes of this podcast. So please, please, please donate to Shay's uh, top surgery fund. They have a gold reach. Let me eat these yitties. Let me eat these titties. Help me. Get them off. Take them away. Ah. <laughs> and, you know, to your point about, you know, wearing whatever you want, I think my favorite, well, okay. Shay, you're one of my favorite people to, to photograph because you just, I, I love it. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the photo shoot that we did in September before your birthday, the red light, the photos. red light photo shoot, the red light, Iconic. Photo shoot. the red light photo shoot was, and is still one of my favorite shoots that I've done to this day because of the fact that, you know, you had on a wig makeup, and then in your more feminine presenting pictures, you had a more like tomboy look. But in, you know, your pictures where you had your short hair and everything like that, you had a more softer feminine look. And it was just this way that you were playing with how you were presenting that was just so iconic. God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's a big thing that I purposely enjoy doing. The idea that I was wearing the more feminine outfit, but having my hair pretty much almost shaved, not completely, but shaved down pretty, pretty much. But then wearing the more masculine, what would be considered maybe a more masculine outfit with Quote the unquote. with the camo pants, but the big wig and the makeup and everything involved in it. I've always really enjoyed that playing with what's feminine and what's masculine and what goes together and what doesn't go together. That's something that has been which i should should have been a big signal that something was different about me a lot of the things that i wanted to choreograph when i was really young when i was really young uh the things that i imagined choreographing or even the things that i wanted to do because i was a theater kid when i was really little um and one of my favorite uh musicals is hairspray um i have always wanted to be a essentially a well, gender bent anything. I've imagined that musical a million times over switching the genders or changing the gender expressions, changing the gender identities and trying to see how that differentiates the story, how that makes things feel different. I also just kind of want to want to want a feminine seaweed. I kind of do. Like, I just feel like that would be a really cool concept. Those are concepts that I like continually thought of when I was a kid. This idea of playing with what's masculine, what's fe what's feminine, switching things around, switching around hair, makeup clothing and seeing you know what combinations you get and how that looks and how that makes people feel specifically and I think you you live with me I think that's starting to show with what I wear like on a regular basis the way that I kind of play with those things 
but I've always really enjoyed the idea of messing around with with concepts like that because it's all socially construct. All that's all it is. Men and women are all social socially constructed ideas of roles that we've put into this world that we specifically put into Western civilization. This this idea that a woman when she goes to a job interview, first of all, the idea that a woman automatically goes by she, her pronouns, the fact that we automatically describe women with terms like beautiful, um, the, ter- the fact that we consider men to automatically have he, him pronouns, the fact that we use words like handsome to describe men, and it's inappropriate to switch that around and say that a man is beautiful or say that a woman is handsome are all socially constructed ideas. We decided that we wanted to do that at some point and we decided to stick to it. That's all that that is. So specifically playing with what your idea of masculine and feminine is and how people will how people will see that and how people will perceive that and what that means. Because there's also this idea that, that men and women and feminine and masculine have different traits attached to them. When you think feminine, most people think very soft. Most people think very graceful. They think poised. They think... Or sometimes maybe on the flip side, when you think of women like AOC or when you you think of women like my own mother, you think of, you know, powerful. But there's also that idea of a woman being powerful, then she's being bitchy. Like those things that you've automatically attached to these ideas of, of femininity and women are socially constructed ideas. And again, this idea of men being powerful, men being strong are ideas that we've connected to that and then connected to that idea is this idea that if a man shows emotion if a man shows some type of you know sadness that they express that they're having a hard time you know that's perceived as being weak that's perceived as being feminine these are differences that we've created within these two identities so then what happens when you put you know a a person that looks to be amab presenting on a stage wearing a dress and heels and having them dance to what could be considered a masculine song what emotions come from that? What are you thinking? What's what's going on? And I think sometimes I always hope that my art, if it, do, if it does ever take off my dance art, if I ever have my own dance company, which is a small little dream of mine. Anyways, um, you already have it. It's yours. <laughs> it's here. Thank you, universe. But once that does like take off and I'm able to do things that, that talk more about gender in said dances, I always kind of hope that maybe my art would be what helps people to undo that thinking that takes them so long to do. Because it is hard. It's hard to undo that thinking. And sometimes it's hard for people in just logical terms to undo it and to be like, yeah, gender doesn't equal, gender expression doesn't equal pronouns. You know, clothes doesn't equal gender identity and things like that. I hope that it can be undone in that way and that my dance helps to undo it in that way by making you confront the feelings that you feel when you see images such as this. I think I have veered completely off topic to the original question. No, this is a good conversation (laughs) because like, especially within the queer community, like we tend to take, you know, gender roles and we completely flip them on their head, you know, especially within, you know, queer relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, I, most of the time I identify as as a femme lesbian, but there are those times where I'm like, yeah, I feel masculine today. Yeah. Um, and like I love calling my partner, you know, if they are a map presenting, I love calling them handsome. Right. Like, fuck yeah. Let me call you handsome, damn it. <laughs> and I mean these are things that can very easily that's what I mean though. These are things that very easily they change day to day. 
but mm-hmm. we don't think about it that way. Right. I think for humans, it's a lot easier for it to have a permanent definition and a permanent label mm-hmm. for that to make sense. To say that people that are born with vaginas are women is easier than just letting that person with a vagina grow up and discover whatever identity works for them and then catering to that accordingly. It's a lot easier to just put a big old label on everyone so that everyone is the same and it's easier to identify that way, but we're not confronting our own feelings in that way. We're not confronting we're not confronting what an impact that has on the people around us. We're not, and honestly, in my in my time, I have just found that it's a lot easier to just conform to what makes someone comfortable. Like, I never really understood that argument of like, oh, it takes so long, or it's 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 so much work. It's so much work. Like, I just don't understand it, and it's a lot of work for me to do, and I'm frustrated, and there's a lot of things I have to get through about it. And it's not about you. It's not. Like, it's just an identity. Like, my mom makes a really huge deal out of the fact that she can't, that I don't like being called her daughter that I don't like being called that because I don't identify with that word. Also, your hair. She made a really big deal when you cut your hair, too. Not the first time. She did it with me the first time uh, that I cut my hair. But when I cut it shorter, that's when she was kind of like, huh? And then the eyebrows, that was a big one. Who the eyebrows were a big one. Oh, yeah, and you haven't told your mom about your bald hood yet, no, have you? No, that I am completely, completely bald. Yeah. Um, which either she's going to, I doubt that she's going to listen to this podcast, to be quite honest, because I don't know if she ever listened to the first one or the preview for the first one. But uh, if she does hear this, then she's just learned that I completely shaved my head to the point where I am, like, legitimately bald. I shaved it all off. Yep. They came into the living room one day, and just all their hair was gone. I was like, cool (laughs) you know we're on board and that's what i mean though like it's it's i think for people like my mom or just people in general it's a lot easier for you to make a comment and for you to be shocked and for you to feel whatever you feel and be outraged and try to get that person to go back to the original label that they were given than just make them comfortable when the reality of it is is that i have found it a lot easier that if my like if my sisters ever came to me and they were like hey i don't want to be referenced this way anymore i'm like okay i won't I've had friends that are like, I don't want to be referenced like this anymore. I don't want to, you know, hear this anymore. Okay, cool. I will, I will change accordingly and I will fuck up sometimes. And that's not the, the running, there's a weird running joke that trans people get really offended when you use the wrong pronouns. And I have never actually met a trans person that gets like a million one, you know, they get so, so, so angry and so, so, so upset that you've used the wrong pronouns. Um, it's usually the reaction afterwards that really ends up putting the labeling on them as the asshole trans person. What, the, what, what it usually goes through is, is like this. The person will be like, oh, this and this person, she, whatever, and then the trans person will go, I'm sorry, excuse me, but I go by he, him pronouns. If you could use he, him pronouns, that would be great. That person... Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I just I oh my god, I fucked up so bad. I'm a terrible person. Oh god, no, I just I just oh god, like I'm so sorry. Or on another note, okay, well they're just pronouns, man. Like can you just not make a big deal out of them? Like can you just not like can you just I'm trying here, man. Like I'm not going to get it right every time. Can you just like let me figure it out? Both of those instances, said cis person that was corrected was the asshole. Mostly because 
a trans person asking you to use the right pronouns is not them trying to out you as a terrible person. It's not them trying to tell you that you're a shitty person for not using the right pronouns. It's simply a reminder because we know you are going to mess up. Just say, okay, sorry, correct yourself and move on. It's really not necessary to get into a million and one different arguments about pronouns and about how you think that I called you a shitty person when I didn't. When that's not what happened, I simply corrected you. But again, back to the original thought is that it's easier to get outraged. It's easier to pin the trans person as the bad person for making you make the difference, for making you make the changes to your own language and to yourself and how the way you think, instead of just taking responsibility for saying you didn't know and that you will try harder. And that's also another part is just trying harder. Most people don't want to try harder because it's easier. It's all easier. That's what I mean. It's so much easier to live in that ignorance and to not change your own way of thinking than it is to just make other people comfortable and take an effort to make other people comfortable. It says more about you that you don't want to make that change than it says about the other person that, you know, they just want to be referenced a certain way. It really, it really... It's, it's, it's a lot more simple than we tend to make it when we talk about trans people. There's a lot of questions that in reality don't need to be answered by cis people because they don't need to know. What bathroom do I use? Why do you care? I gotta piss, like just leave me alone. I don't, <laughs> why does it matter which bathroom I use or which bathroom I want to use? Why does that, I'm trying to pee. You're trying to pee. I don't care where you need to pee. It's questions such as that of, also questions of like transition, of like, when are you going to transition? How are you going to transition? That was one of the biggest, I think it's probably one of the biggest hurdles that I'm still probably going through with my mom is this idea that when I first told her about the top surgery, that I, that she had a lot of questions about if I was going to continue transitioning. And honestly, at the time that she had asked me, it wasn't something, it was something that I was thinking about, but something I hadn't decided top surgery was something I knew that I wanted and it was something I kind of always knew that I wanted surgery was on the table originally it was going to be a very large reduction and I wanted them very 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 small um until I really thought about it and realized that I didn't want them at all and there was a there was a sense of gender euphoria that I was looking for that I would only be able to achieve by taking them completely off which was a long conversation I had to have with myself and a lot of late night researching I had to do to make sure that this was something that I legitimately wanted but when I told her about it, then she all of a sudden had a lot of questions about what the rest of my the rest of my transition would look like, if there even was a rest of my transition and what this meant for and what this meant for me and what what changes were gonna be made and what I was gonna look like and things like that. And I don't know what the very the very reality of it is is that none of that is her business either. None of it is. At the end of the day I am still her child. I still came from her. That doesn't change and I can't change that. But what she can choose to do is either continue supporting me and loving me as her child or she can choose not to. And that decision is up to her, it's not up to me. It's, it's up to her and how she feels about these things. But the reality of it is that no matter how many changes I go through, I am still, I am still the child that she bore. I am simply not the image that she had created. That was clever. Wow, I'm so smart. Damn.
That's that's a good one. I mean, but that's a big thing about about parents, especially I think black parents. Oh yeah. Um, with trans kids, is that there's this weird idea that when your kid is born, you have an idea of who you want them to be. That's why gender reveal parties are such a big deal. Like, you want a baby girl so that you can dress up said baby girl in dresses, so that you can do certain things with them, so that you can talk about certain topics with them. My dad told me a million and one times growing up that he wished that one me or one of my sisters was a boy. And then when I asked him to follow up on that and be like, what, the dif- what, what would be the difference? What would be so different about having a boy than having us? He was like, well, there are just some things you can't talk. You just won't get it. Like, you just won't get it. There are some things that just we can't talk about together. Which leads me to the question, what would have happened if he did have a boy and his son ended up liking feminine things? What happens now? You didn't get the kid that you asked for. And because the reality of it is is that the kid that you're asking for isn't the projected gender that you're expecting them to be. It's this idea of who you're expecting your kid to be. Is it's, it's this image, this idea of what we associate with that gender, but this idea of what y'all are going to do together. This idea of who your kid's going to be, when in reality, you have no idea who your kid's going to be. We are nothing but a combination of an egg and a sperm with a lot of different chromosomes in them that go into their own specific, unique pattern. And DNA that creates itself in its own specific, unique pattern that we cannot, under any circumstances, like, predict. There are some things that we can predict, like eye color, hair color, things like that. But personality, you just truly will never know. So the idea that you're already attaching this personality, this this idea of who this child is going to be, to said person who's not born yet, that's your feelings about that projected image are nothing but your own feelings. I am not obligated to be the daughter that my mother wanted. I'm not obligated to, and neither are my sisters. I'm not ob- I am only obligated to be the person that I am comfortable being. That is all I am obligated to do. I am not obligated to be the child that she imagined when I was in her womb. I am not obligated to I am not obligated to do any of the things that she had imagined doing with me or wearing any of the things that she imagined me to wear. However she feels about the fact that I either didn't do those things or that I didn't enjoy doing those things, that she did get to do them or didn't get to do them with me, that's, that, that's her feelings on them. But I'm not responsible for them. Which I think goes back to originally the original question, which is why I think I express the gender the way that I do, because I realize I'm not obligated to anyone. I'm not obligated to follow anyone else's opinions. And I think in the black community, there's this weird idea that we are not obligated to follow anyone else's opinions, but our parents' opinions should be the most important. And the unfortunate part is that they're not, at least on things like clothes, at least on things like hair. Like things that that correspond correspond with my gender expression are not. Tips on being an adult and like my parents, you know, advice on financials, um, their advice on how I choose to spend my money, how I choose to use my money, um, their opinions on where I should live and what I should do for a living. Those are opinions that I absolutely welcome because my parents are older than me, they are wise, and I will always respect those opinions. 
because they are smart people and they have traveled through this world much longer than I have. And those are things that they will know about. But the reality of it is, is that they do not know me and there will always be a bias in their opinions about how I choose to express myself because they had an idea of who I was going to be and still probably have an idea of who they want me to be. And that's an opinion I, I have to distance myself from in order to truly, truly, truly find what makes me comfortable and be me. Cause I can't, I can't truly be me if someone else's, if someone else's uh, opinion is involved. But that also might be specific to me that, you know, I need their, I need my own opinion to be first in order for me to truly feel comfortable with how, what I'm wearing, with how I'm choosing to talk and how I choose to express myself, you know. That was a lot of words. It was. It was a lot of good, good things to think about, though, you know, because, like, we don't talk about these types of things within the Black community. I mean, and this is... I mean, I think that exceeds gender identity, though. I think that 100% exceeds gender identity. Um, I say all this as a person who has found their own gender identity in talking about and discovering all these feelings and talking to other people about them. But this applies to cis people as well. This 100% applies to cis people as well. We are not good in the black community with supporting our black men in being soft. They can be soft. Let them be soft. Let them. First of all, men feel emotions. We can't sit there and pretend like they don't. And we need to talk more about how we're not letting them feel emotions because it's not considered to be manly or considered to be masculine and you're considered to be feminine because of it. But number two, we put a big pressure on our black men to be a certain type of image, to be the certain type of image of a black man. The amount of times that the Shade Room has posted something really transphobic and all of the comments are either black moms or black dads talking about some, if I ever found my son wearing a dress, I'd beat his ass. What's wrong with you? Like legitimately, your son's wearing an article of clothing that what, isn't normally meant for people of his gender? But he's wearing a article of clothing either because he's trying it out or because it makes him feel comfortable and you're going to beat his ass. And it makes him feel happy. If that's the case, then you're just distancing yourself from your child that's in that way. That's all that you're doing. You attaching this idea of who this, again, those are your feelings about who that person was supposed to be. But those are no one but your, your feelings. Your child is not obligated to be the image that you created for them under any circumstances. And you solidifying this idea that if they're not the image that you had projected onto them, that they don't get to be around you, that you will no, no longer offer your love in the same way. You know, it it's, that's it's not, selfish. That's not the commitment that you made as a parent. It isn't, it isn't. Number one, it's not the commitment that you made as a parent. Number two, it's just selfish. It's really selfish to decide that you don't want to love your child because they're not who you thought they were going to be. Because that child is still your child. That doesn't get to change. You either chose to take care of that child or you chose to have that child. And they're still going to be here, even if you take that love away from them. And they have to live with that. But this, this idea that this idea that you would distance yourself in that way from your child from not being who they who they're supposed to be especially among black men is detrimental not only that but it's a big it's a big contributor to toxic toxic masculinity real toxic masculinity cuz 
I don't know. We we got to do better. That's that's really my statement on that. Again, this does not just apply to black trans people. This applies to to black cis people too. It, it's and it's another thing if you just if you just wouldn't be comfortable wearing a dress. I think that's another excuse that I would make or not that I would make or that I've heard other people make, especially black people. Well, I just wouldn't be comfortable doing that. Then don't do that. You don't have to do that. If they're comfortable doing that, let them do that. They're living their life. It's this it's the same idea of men when they say, "Oh, I don't like it when a women when a woman wears too much makeup." Or, or I, don't I don't like, like wearing it. makeup. Or I don't like it when a woman wears a wig. Or I don't like it when a woman then has too much. Then don't wear one, Jeffrey. Or I don't like it when um, black women, when they have their, their natural hair out. Then don't do it, Jeffrey. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand what you policing what someone else does helps you in any capacity. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't. There's a difference between preferences and you policing the way that somebody does something. Especially, like, when it comes to moving back to gender roles. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't like it when my my girlfriend or my AFAB partner likes, likes to have short clothes. Do you know how to fight? Because I know how to fight. I know how to fight. <laughs> and I will fight. And I will fight. Immediately. Like and my, expeditiously. Like, my AFAB partner looks good as hell. I know, I know they do. If you don't know how to fight, just say that. Just say <laughs> If you're insecure, just say that. Exactly. Just say that. Like, you know, your partner should be able to wear whatever they want to when the, when they're in that relationship. And if they're not able to do that, then what the fuck? I mean, and there's this idea that attaches to it where it's like, well, I'm just not comfortable with people thinking that she's single. Or I'm not comfortable with other people thinking that she's available. If she's she can say that. Exactly. She can say that, oh, I'm not single. And or if anything it's a like matter that. and if it's a matter where you think that your said partner isn't going to say anything about not being single, that's a conversation between the two of y'all to have. And maybe that's a rethinking of the relationship. Like how like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be together. Or hey, maybe we should open this up. Yeah, like I mean, either one. It's either a boundary of, hey, I need people to understand that we are together and therefore I need you to make that clear with people when you go out and not, you know, engage in activities that make me uncomfortable or that, you know, I would consider to be cheating in any way. There's a difference between I need people to understand that you're open and that you're not open and available and that I, you know, am with you without policing what they wear and just saying that you don't want your partner to look like a whore. Like, you don't get to decide that. You don't get to decide that because your partner's wearing a pair of shorts that all of a sudden they're whoring themselves out. Because that's not what they're doing. If I want to wear a short skirt, I'm going to wear a short skirt. I like a nice pair of booty shorts. Listen, if I want to look like I belong to the streets, I will. You know? And there's... A, and there's That was also something else getting back to the question. All of this leads back... You know how wonderful this conversation is that it keeps leading back to the converse, It does. To the original question. To the original question, yeah. Um... Another thing about it is that, well, as a, as a black AFAB person, um, and it was something that I didn't realize that was happening to me until I was a lot older, but this really weird idea that we we age up black little girls way too quickly. We do. We do. We do. They wear tank tops. They're the amount called of, fast. They're called fast. They're called, you uh, being too, too grown. grown. Yeah, yeah. And I love wearing, I love wearing, that was like the first thing I did because my dad never wanted me to wear booty shorts growing up. He had a rule. He had a rule of how much length underneath the back pocket would have. 
Um, and he made consistent comments about, especially black women, about them dressing in certain ways. I remember one time we were talking, he was mentioning to me, uh, Nicki Minaj, that one time that she showed up to an award show. I don't remember which award show it was, but she was wearing an all black dress. Um, and it was like, it was toned down because it was toned down compared to her last album that had come out, which was the big pink wig. Um, I think that was Pink Friday. Was it Pink Friday? Pink Friday. Um, so then her whole look was a pink wig for a while, so, but then she showed up to the award ceremony without a pink wig, and she just had her black um, her black hair along with the black dress, and it was all very simple. Um, of course, she did that on purpose because she was like, now everyone's eyes are going to be on me because I'm not wearing what they expected me to wear. Smart bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, a smart bitch. Um, but one of the first things that my dad said about that award show and about Nicki Minaj was that you know, I'm glad that she's taking a different path for herself. Like, what is that supposed to mean? First of all, she's not. First of all, she's still she's still singing about uh, she's still singing about twerking her ass, getting that money, getting that dick, chasing that bag. Her rap has not changed since then. In fact, now she just calls people out by name. Correct. Which it just made it ten times better for me. But it didn't change. But this weird idea that all of a sudden that Nicki Minaj presented herself differently and wore something that he considered to be more classy all of a sudden meant that she was a more classy person. And she and she wasn't that fast little girl that was that was running around here. The But the amount of times growing up as a young AFAB person, a young black AFAB person, and the amount of times that I that I just I brought that in as a kid, the idea that people saw me as older because I dressed a certain way or saw me as a target because I dressed a certain way or because I deserved certain treatment or certain words or certain labels because of the way that I chose to dress. And it definitely was not my sexual like it definitely wasn't a sexual promiscuity thing cuz I did not to be quite explicit with you, I didn't lose my virginity until I was a lot older. I didn't. I just, I didn't participate in activities like that. But, you know, when I wanted to wear really, really cute booty shorts that cupped all the way up at the cheek, that looked cute as fuck. When I wanted to wear crop tops, when I wanted to wear, you know, the spaghetti strap tank tops, all of a sudden there was a million and one comments of that. I didn't want to be that girl. You don't want to, you don't want to be perceived that way. You don't want to be looked at that way. And I think that plays into, number one, respectability politics. And number two, the fetishization. God. Fetishization. Fetishization of black AFAB bodies. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that gets into all sorts of things. That also gets into rape culture. Because most black, oh, the black community don't want to hear this, but you are more likely to bring uh, or keep your pedophile uncle around than you are to uh, accept your trans your trans kid, your queer kid. A lot of black communities have that pedophilic uncle, pedophilic grandpa. I don't. I mean, I don't. I'm also just not close to a lot of my outside family. But I'm sure when they all were close, there was that nigga that showed up, and that we knew that we had to keep that they knew they had to That's, keep the kids away. That sexualized the kids. Yeah. That you know when. This weird idea, I, I hated this growing up. I hated this. Um, and it still doesn't make sense. My mom swore that it would make sense when I got older, um, when I became an adult. Same that same thing that my dad. But when like my mom had company over, when mom had men that were coming over, and not men that were there to be romantic with her, just like coworkers or things like that, when she had men over. To cover up. I had to cover up. Why were my, why were my boobs out for everybody to see? Well, why? Why was I wearing skinny little skimpy shorts? Why am I actively looking for this attention when I'm never actively looking for that attention? 
Listen, I moved out years ago and I wear, you live with me. I wear those skimpy ass little crop tops and those cute little booty shorts at home. Right. And I look at my own ass in the mirror. <laughs> you do. Cause it look good. <laughs> you do. I look good. You do. And I feel good. You should. Cause you should, cause everyone should. But it's like, you know, why do I have to cover up for a stranger in my own home? You know what? That's a fantastic question. And you want to know the answer to that? Because there's this assumption that when AFAT people are looking good and feeling good, that it's only at the expense of other people. They don't feel good or they don't feel sexy or feel, you know, gorgeous or beautiful for By themselves. themselves, yeah. They do it for other people. If I'm getting dressed up in these skimpy shorts, it must be because not only do I feel beautiful or not, not because I feel beautiful or because I feel sexy, but because I want somebody else to perceive me to that perceive way. me that way and i want somebody else to make comments about how i look and about how sexy i look in my shorts in my crop top my tank tops but as i said you live with me you know me i will put on a pair of booty shorts i will put on my i will put on a sexy bra i don't have a sexy bra but i will put on <laughs> i'll put on my binder i'll put on my sexy panties i'll put on whatever i want to i will look at myself in the mirror I'm in love with myself. I'm in shit. love with myself. I date myself. I'm looking at myself in the mirror like, who is that? Can I get their number? Can I get your number? <laughs> <laughs> Can I holla at you? <laughs> Can I holla at you? And it's me. <laughs> and it's me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to deny that there are a lot of times that, you know, people like being perceived as as good looking by other people. But that's not a that's not an AFAB exclusive concept. AMAB people like being perceived as handsome or beautiful or gorgeous by other people. But for some reason, we've all of a sudden made that an AFAB exclusive issue. We've made that an AFAB exclusive mindset where AFAB people are only getting dressed up so that other people can perceive them that way. And not this idea that everyone would enjoy being perceived that way by other people, but when they've consented to. Hmm. A fucking word. You're welcome. Is that it? I think that's it. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Oh, absolutely. This was fun. This was very Mom fun. Mom and Dad, I'm so sorry if you've been listening this whole time. Please don't call me about any of this. We can have a conversation when I get home for the holidays. Love you. Big thanks again to Shay for taking the time to sit down with me. This isn't all Shay and I had to say, though. If you want to hear us talk about Savage X Fenty, Black Women Rappers, and other topics... Subscribe to my Patreon, which will be in the show notes. I'm introducing a new segment to close out the show. I'm going to call it the Black Book Block, in which I highlight a book or bodies of work from Black authors of any kind and share an excerpt. If you have a piece of literature that you would like me to feature, connect with me through email or tag me on social media. This week's selection for the Black Book Block is Hoodwitch by Felita Hicks, who is a Black queer poet. While I do not own her book yet, I did take a look at their body of work and found a poem that was just awe-striking in a poetry publication called The Rockvale Review. So, from The Rockvale Review, here is Faelita Hicks' poem, Photo of X, 1997, Something Not Right. I had been wondering if I was a girl, or a boy, or just broken, reaching down into myself with a marker. Fix yourself. Mama found me nagging a dictionary and she came, a yawning beluga whale self-launched into the air, her nightdress a white flame pushed up against the flap of her breasts. Mama came for me. 
Her lopsided curls coiled garden snakes unraveling as she flew from my door to myself and the puddle I made with my questions on the floor. She screeched and a leather face like a strip of land kissed my neck, assuaged my back, bitter, tight, nicked the peach behind my knee. My skin hushed itself into a hum of red and it was the first time I considered bleeding beautiful. Arching global, I opened. It was as I thought it might be, transcendent. I said, fix yourself. But she had to know. There was no fixing myself now. For more updates, follow me on Twitter at RainBonalist. That's R-A-I-N-B-O-N-A-L-I-S-T and The Rainbow Journalist on other social media platforms. Thanks to you as well for tuning in. Until next time, I'm your host, Faith, and this has been Ethnoqueers.